Support for Spoleto Backstage is made possible in part by Chamber Music Charleston, celebrating the return of live music gatherings and their 15th anniversary, with their season opener featuring violinist Rachel Barton Pine and more. September 28th at the Satilli Theater. For tickets, chambermusiccharleston.org. Support also comes from Brook Green Gardens, presenting the National Sculpture Society's 88th Annual Awards Exhibition, June 12th through August 22nd, and Summerlight Art by Night, Wednesdays through Saturdays until August 22nd. More at brookgreen.org. Productions of chamber music from Spoleto Festival USA are made possible by Bank of America, the ETV Endowment of South Carolina, and the John Covington and Robert Lukey Fund for the Performing Arts. Hello and welcome to another episode of Spoleto Backstage, your shiny, scrapbook-worthy ticket to the performances and personages of the 2021 Spoleto Festival Chamber Music Series. Hi. I'm Bradley Fuller, and I'm really excited to share with you a compilation of a few incredible contemporary works that reverberated through the Dock Street Theater this year, including a world premiere by Osvaldo Golihov and Paul Wianco's American Haiku. Both of those are in store on this episode, and both of them will be introduced to us by their composers. And to start this sequence of striking string works, a selection by violist and composer Garth Knox, his Nine Fingers. One of eight concert studies that make up Knox's viola spaces, Nine Fingers is a piece that helps the performer hone technique, a technique that could be especially useful when it comes to playing newer works and rising to the unique challenges they pose. In Nine Fingers, the focus is on pizzicato playing, plucking the strings directly with the hands such that no bow is used to perform it. And, as you might have guessed from the title, nine fingers do most of the digit duty here, while one thumb supports the string instrument just under its neck. The visuals of a performance of this piece are pretty spectacular, something this podcast unfortunately cannot provide, of course, but hearing it is still quite an experience, especially with a violist like Sin Yun Huang performing. Here she is playing it now, Nine Fingers by Garth Knox.
Violist Sin Yun Wang performing Nine Fingers from Garth Knox's Viola Spaces. More contemporary string works are in store, and to introduce the next one, a piece that had its world premiere in the Spoleto Festival Chamber Music Series this year, composer Osvaldo Golihov. Osvaldo is no stranger to Spoleto Festival USA. His works Den and Tenebrae received their world premieres at the festival in 1998 and 2002, and in 2016, he served as the Spoleto Chamber Music Series Composer-in-Residence. It was that season that saw the first performance of his Drag Down the Sky for Baritone and String Quartet. And for this year's series, he wrote yet another work which was heard for the first time in Charleston's Dock Street Theater. Here's Osvaldo sharing about what the festival and the venue mean to him before providing some background on his new piece. I love, I love that festival. I love the Dock Theater. It's one of my very, very favorite places on earth. And I've been in, in quite a few. <laughs> but I, I think it's quite a magical place. And I, I think that the atmosphere that that Charles Wadsworth created and and Jeff uh, now uh, 
changed, but from inside, right? I mean, he he made it into something more modern, but with the same spirit of inclusion, of really love for music and love for live music and community. And so, yeah, I, I cannot be happier. <laughs> That's great to hear. And I certainly share your enthusiasm and have picked up on this, uh, you know, wonderful excitement that, that characterizes the series and this blend, as you said, of, uh, you know, newer works, including world premieres, and also some of those very uh, traditional and, and long-loved favorites of chamber music, but interpreted in exciting new ways. Now, for this year's chamber music series, you've written a cello and piano work titled Milonga. Now, is this music inspired by the traditional Argentinian dance of that name? Exactly, yeah. But it's actually a hybrid. <laughs> you know, I, I half out of boredom in the pandemic and half because I was helping uh, my friend Johnny Gandelsman with some, some uh, cues for a documentary. We did many versions of a Hebrew traditional tune that Haifetz had uh, recorded. It's a kind of an anchor piece, right? So I did many versions. And, and then Johnny had this idea of transforming it into a milonga, which has nothing to do with the original. But of course, it's a great challenge. And I just started to play around with it and and I think that now the original melody, the one that Heifetz would play is completely uh, submerged. I, I don't think that anybody could find it, but I can. <laughs> <laughs> and the rhythm is, is that slow dance, slow Argentinian dance uh, that is so sensual and um, hypnotizing. Is this the first milonga you've written? Uh, no, no. Actually, I, I wrote a piece, I think the first one was one in memory of Piazzolla that the St. Lawrence premiered. I don't know if they premiered it at the Dock Theatre, but definitely they played it there and I dedicated it to to them. Yeah, it's like, you know, the, the milonga is, is interesting. It's this rhythm that uh, is three plus three plus two. So it's like, uh, and it's just, <laughs> it sounds like nothing, but actually uh, against the subconscious, tar, 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 you know, against the, the, the one that goes in quarter notes, it just makes your spirit dance. <laughs> oh, that sounds wonderful. I'm, I'm so excited to hear it. I mean, does this have special meaning to you as someone who's from Argentina originally? Absolutely. And also um, this year, uh, the great uh, Astor Piazzolla would have been 100 years old. So I, you know, I have my periodic obsessions with him and his music. <laughs> so it's, it, it is, it touches something very, very, very deep. I mean, I, I left Argentina a long, long time ago, but this is a rhythm and a form and a dance that has much more than just musical meaning for me. It has a deep uh, soul meaning. So you, you mentioned it being earlier kind of slow and sensuous, and you're also saying soulful. Um, how else might you describe this piece? Is there anything, any surprises? Actually, it's pretty dramatic. <laughs> I mean, it has, it has, you know, I, I think that, so it has a, like a very dramatic introduction that is suddenly like as if it was a movie, boom, cut off. 
And then like a dreamy dance, then, then the milonga comes in. Um, and to me that, you know, the, those first minutes after the introduction are very much like seeing a, a couple lost in their own dreams while dancing the milonga, right? Like, you know, I can imagine the woman with her head resting on the shoulder of the man and just like <laughs> dancing as if it was a, a boat. I don't know. <laughs> and then, but then, then things start happening, right? And then, then, they, then it becomes very, very dramatic, but dramatic in the sense of, of tango dance where, uh, you know, I think that most of your listeners might be familiar with tango where the legs really fly. <laughs> and do crazy stuff and provoke each of the dancers provoke the other and, and, and but at the same time the, from the torso upwards it's all like poker face or poker torso so <laughs> this kind of I don't know how to call it but it's like it's just like this contrast between the absolute poker face or poker torso and the devilish footwork that that you know, that I think is what attracts people all over the world to to tango and milonga, right? Sure. And it reminds me, I mean, of some, you know, top-notch performers. These are people who make something very difficult kind of look easy. You know, they, they may not <laughs> you know, show too much distress on their faces, but it's actually a pretty challenging thing they're playing there. I know. Well, actually, back to Heifetz, right? I mean, he, he, he could... He didn't bat an eye and he was playing the craziest stuff. But yeah, it is. And, and I think it makes such an impact because I think this, when a performer, be that a musician or a dancer, becomes a true channel, right? Where they don't emote <laughs> with their faces, or uh, but rather let the music pass through them. And yeah. And, and those performers in this case will be cellist Elisa Weilerstein and pianist Inan Barnatan. These are performers who have, you know, championed your works before, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, very much so. And I adore them both. And I'm super happy that, I mean, I, I, I worked a lot with Elisa and I feel that she understands my music, you know, at least as good as I do. Wow. <laughs> and Inon is also extraordinary, and they have such a beautiful partnership. Such a, uh, you know, I tell you, when I worked primarily with Alisa in rewriting my cello concerto, and so I remember we spent a week in Canada together, and, you know, I would bring pages every day and play along with her, and one day I, I I put some new pages and we start playing, right? And then at some point I keep playing and she stops. And I say, why did you stop? <laughs> and she says, well, actually there was no music written for a number of pages already, so I was trying to guess it, but now I don't know what to do. So, yeah, I think she really understands how I think. And yeah, that's that's consummate musicianship right there. If you're you're able to kind of guess what the composer would have yeah. said. And <laughs> she had, yeah, she had improvising, and, you know, with the harmonies that I was playing and so forth. So anyway, it was fun, a funny, just a funny way of telling you how much she understands what I try to do. Well, I'm really looking forward to hearing her performance of it. I, I also wanted to ask, uh, one of your more recent compositions, Falling Out of Time, deals with some very heavy subject matter, the intense grief of a parent after the loss of a child. Did you feel like, you know, a work like this, Milonga, might kind of offer a little creative breather, something that's, you know, not quite in that same intense kind of uh, 
you know, vein? Definitely. I mean, I have, you know, I have a huge whiteboard next to the piano. Like, I mean, I don't know, I think it's six by four or something. <laughs> and I, have, I wrote very big, only happy music for the next five years. <laughs> I mean, it's not that the milonga is happy, but it's a dance and, and the drama is more the drama of, of dramatic dance, but not of grief. Right, right. It's it's something, it, it's, uh, yeah, yeah, it might, might be kind of frowning, but but in a kind of uh, appealing way, you know, kind of uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, alluring. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I am, uh, I'm committed to only, <laughs> to not explore grief for a long time uh, again. But I, I, but, but also, I feel that I have to do it, and I did it, and I, those years were important for me, and and hopefully the piece will, I think it will have legs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, what else are you working on at the moment, and and what's next, kind of in your. Uh... Yeah, well, I'm, this is, I'm a little bit like Schumann, like obsessive. So I think this is the year of chamber music. I'm writing a quartet for Brooklyn Rider, the wonderful, relatively young quartet, and an octet, a string octet for the Amsterdam Biennale of string quartets, where the St. Lawrence will be one of the quartets, and then I guess European players will be the other quartet. So that's, and then a violin concerto. So, you know, it's a lot of instrumental music and hopefully not about grief. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, sounds like you're, you're definitely keeping busy and, uh, you know, all best with, with the premieres of these pieces. And again, I, I can't wait to hear the Malonga at this year's Palato Festival. Yeah, thank you so, so much. And again, I'm grateful and happy that it will be played there. Composer Osvaldo Golihov sharing there about the Milonga he wrote a work which had its world premiere at the opening of Program 7 of this year's Spoleto Festival Chamber Music Series. Now that you've heard about his milonga, it's time you simply heard it. Here's that premiere performance given by cellist Elisa Weilerstein and pianist Inan Barnatan.
Elisa Weilerstein cello and Inan Barnatan piano giving there the world premiere performance of Osvaldo Golihov's Milonga. There's more striking string music of the 21st century not far off with a composition by Paul Wianko, someone else who has filled the role of chamber music series composer in resonance. That was in 2019 for Paul. And on top of that, Paul was also a performer in that year's series and in this year's series as well. I spoke with the cellist composer recently to learn more about one of his works that was featured on Program 6 of the 2021 lineup, his American Haiku from 2014. Well, your American Haiku will join Jessica Myers, but not until as one of two viola-cello duets in this year's lineup. Not the most common pairing of string instruments, maybe. What were you going for in American Haiku when you wrote it? You know, very much like Jess's viola-cello duo, that was one of my first uh, legitimate, shall we say, pieces of chamber music. And, you know, it, it's strange. We, Jess and I were talking and we found so many, like she wrote her duo in 2014. I wrote mine in 2014. Um, she kind of explained to the audience before we performed it that she was searching for something in that piece. And it was, I think it was the first piece of chamber music that she completed as a composer. Um, and I feel very similarly about American Haiku. Um, I was sort of on a, on a quest while writing that piece to, to figure out my musical intentions as a composer and kind of where to draw the line between my personality as a performer and my personality as a, a person who writes music um, and where those lines are blurred, where they're inseparable. Um, so it's a, it's a pretty exploratory piece for me. and. That's uh, reflected in the title as well, American Haiku. I come from a a mixed background. My mother is Japanese and my father was born in uh, Oklahoma. So there's some of that kind of mixed in as well. That's, I guess, more of an excuse for me to explore all these different uh, musical styles. There's a little bit of like fiddling in there, maybe a little kind of homage to Japanese folk music also kind of all mixed into this, this pot. But my partner, uh, Viola Stayane Kozasa, she's the one who commissioned the piece for me, and she also had a you know a very um, interesting upbringing and has traveled uh, traveled the U.S. all throughout her childhood. Uh, born in Japan, and then moved to Texas uh, when she was a toddler, and then to Chicago, and then Cleveland, and Philadelphia, and New York. Um, so the piece uh, is written with her in mind also and her upbringing, and it's kind of a, like traveling music, I would say, um, as well. So it's the idea is that at the end of the piece, um, we feel like we've found uh, some place to call home. The haiku as a form of poetry, you know, really brings out such an evocation or an impression with only a few syllables. I mean, concision is such a virtue, I would think, of the writer of a haiku. Do you consider that one of your own um, compositional strengths or something you hope to have? And is that something in American haiku, kind of a lot said in a short space? That That's an excellent question. There are definitely a lot more than uh, 17 notes in American <laughs> haiku. But yes, it's very much, it's very much based on the concision of haiku and it's it's my father used to be kind of obsessed with trying to find really great translations of haiku into english and he he couldn't he was never satisfied with any of the translations that he found uh, because there's just something there's something lost there um, in haiku you know every character has 
multiple meanings and connotations and just uh, a history uh, to it. And when you're constructing a haiku, um, there are just so many layers of interpretation and meaning that I think could, you know, occasionally are captured when translated, but it's also something that needs to be um, regularly updated um, as our, you know, as the English language kind of progresses. But interestingly, he was in Japan working on a film and his side project was trying to find a translator to work on um, haiku. And that's how he met my mother. He put an ad in the paper uh, for a translator and uh, she responded to the ad. Uh, so this piece is also a little bit of an homage to him. But in terms of of the structure of the piece, I suppose I would I would consider American haiku to be more of a collection of multiple haiku. There are lots of different uh, short episodes in the piece uh, with very, very uh, different flavor to each episode. So an episodic piece, but one that still has kind of an arc and a sense of journey. Right. And it is in three, three kind of big sections also, which I, you could compare to the three lines of a haiku if you, if you wanted to go there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm certainly looking forward to hearing that work as well. Is there anything else you're looking forward to while you're here in Charleston or performing on the series? I, honestly, I'm craving music so much that I'm just happy to hear all of my amazing colleagues and their performances every day. Um, basically sitting backstage at every show, listening to every piece three times. And uh, it's just my eyes, uh, I don't think have ever been, been open wider um, to music as a listener uh, than they are this year. So I'm just extremely grateful to be part of this crew and I've, I've missed it. And I'm, I'm not going to take any, any of it for granted ever again. <laughs> Well, Paul, whether you are performing or working on completing your 2021 canon, all best to you, and thanks so much for speaking today. I appreciate it, Bradley. Thank you. A conversation I had with cellist and composer Paul Wianco, a former composer in residence for the Spoleto Festival USA Chamber Music Series, who returned this year to perform as a cellist, not only in works like Schubert's Cello Quintet, but also for one of his own compositions. We'll hear now the 2014 piece Paul was just sharing about, American Haiku. He's joined by violist Ayane Kozasa for this phenomenal performance.
Paul Wianco's American Haiku. The composer himself played cello there, joined by violist Ayane Kozasa. That performance opened Program 6 of this year's Spoleto Festival USA Chamber Music Series. And it has brought us to the close of this episode of Spoleto Backstage. It's been great as always having you along, and I hope you'll join for the remaining episodes of this year's run. Some magnificent chamber performances and fun conversations are still ahead. And if you want them fresh out of the oven, so to speak, be sure to subscribe to the podcast. They'll be ready and downloaded and waiting for you whenever that not-so-fun commute on a congested interstate or those tedious moments around the house strike and call for something charming and engaging. Chamber music from Spoleto Festival USA, plus a little complimentary chat, will be there waiting for you. Productions of chamber music from Spoleto Festival USA are made possible by Bank of America, the ETV Endowment of South Carolina, and the John Covington and Robert Lukey Fund for the Performing Arts. Thank you.